0: Hi, I'm Robert Lee and you're listening to The Word on Campus. This show gives you a behind the scenes look at how some of the best university podcasts are made. You're going to hear from leading higher ed podcasters as they walk through parts of their process and how to overcome hurdles unique to higher ed. Welcome to the Word on Campus, where we take a behind the scenes look at how some of the best university podcasts get made. Alumni podcasts are a big part of the higher ed podcasting world, so we're going to be discussing another show focusing on the lives and stories of faculty, staff, and former students. Joining me today is John Bacchicino, the Senior Internal Communications Specialist at Syracuse University, as well as the host and producer of the Cuse Conversations podcast. As a passionate storyteller, John's career has focused on creative multimedia storytelling across multiple platforms and mediums, and he's going to tell us more about his journey and how he got into podcasting.
1: So, John, thanks for being here. Robert, it's a pleasure. I know we had the pleasure of meeting in Denver at the Podcast Movement Conference, and I was really, I was struck by your passion. I was struck by what you're doing to spread the word about the podcast. It's kind of meta when you have podcasters talking about podcasting. But I'm all for it. (laughs) Yeah, I I love the meta concept.
0: And I'll say, you know, John, it was was great seeing you there too. I I always love your energy. And I'm sure your energy is going to come through really clear on this episode right here. So first place to start, John, tell us a bit about your career path. So you moved from the news world into higher ed.
1: What was that transition like and how did you land at Syracuse? Yeah, so for the listeners out there, I'm actually a two-time degree holder from Syracuse. I got my undergraduate in broadcast journalism back in 2003. The best year on school history, we won the basketball championship with Carmelo Anthony. I was down there as a student in New Orleans, had so much fun watching and covering that team. I did a little bit of reporting. I worked for the student radio stations, WJPZ and WAER. But I had my eyes on a sports journalism career like a lot of kids who come to Syracuse do. And after graduating, I was a sports writer for Gannett, the Democrat and Chronicle here in Rochester. And I loved the industry, but it was the wrong time. They were laying off people. The industry was really shrinking upon itself. And I was unfortunately a casualty who got laid off by the newspaper industry. I had formed really good connections with higher ed communicators. And I did about seven years in what's called sports information, which is promoting a school's teams and student athletes. And I did that for... A state school, Brockport. I did that for a small private school, Cuka College. And I worked at Ithaca College with 27 sports. And I love the experience, but I did not like the nights and weekends and the long hours. I mean, since I graduated, basically 13 years had been nights and weekends and working crazy shifts. So my alma mater came calling uh, with a job in alumni engagement that was just fascinating to me, getting a chance to engage with our 250,000 living alumni through profiles, through email sends, through event invitations, social media presence as well. And I did that for about six years. And then during that time, we had actually launched Cuse Conversations back in July of 2019, which I was so thrilled to get to be a part of that from the ground level. So my alma mater, let me come back home and let me tell the stories of our alumni and now I'm blessed to have expanded upon that to include the whole campus community along with alumni as well.
0: Yeah. And being an alum of Syracuse yourself, what do you think does ask this show?
1: So I think what it really adds to it is it's a long form storytelling platform that allows alumni to find out what the current students are up to, because we all know, I mean, whatever your school is. You wish them well. Hopefully, you hope that they're able to be successful with academic pursuits, and if they have good sports teams, go far in their athletic pursuits as well. People want to know what the current generation is up to, and that's really what this podcast does. It started off as, "Hey, here's an alum success story. How did they get to where they are in life? What role did Syracuse play? What advice would they give to current students?" And the episodes were were fun. Uh, they were informative. But they kind of fell into like a a pattern, if you will, of alum does thing. How did the alum do thing? And what would they tell future students to help them be successful? So what's cool about the podcast now is, and and I I had people at uh, this podcast movement conference tell me that we should be focusing in the podcast more specifically. There should be one just telling student stories, just telling faculty, just telling staff and just telling alumni I disagree with that. I find that the holistic campus environment wants to know, the left hand wants to know what the right hand's doing. And that's what Cuse Conversations does. It pulls you behind the scenes to the great research that our faculty are achieving. I mean, we are what's called an R1 research institution by Carnegie, which means we are one of the most accomplished, decorated research institutions for higher ed in America. Our faculty were involved with gravitational waves, which is the very beginning of life. That's how everything started with the Big Bang Theory and gravitational waves. We have faculty involved in that. And I had no idea about this until I started working at the university. And if I don't know about that, being a passionate, proud alum, we need to change that. So this is kind of what this podcast is all about. We do tell the great success stories of your name brand alumni, like I've talked to Bob Costas. I've talked to Marv Albert. I've talked to Super Bowl winning head coach Tom Coughlin. But we've also been telling the stories of first generation college students, what it takes to go away from home, to find the resources to be successful. We are not just notable alumni. We are your everyday faculty and staff member who's really making a difference that you might not have heard of.
0: This is really special. I mean, this is one of the few shows that I've seen that works really well while still staying more general, right? And more more far reaching. So
1: was this your idea or was it someone else's idea on your team? So everyone on my team knows I'm a team player, but the podcast has been my baby. The podcast has really been a passion project for me. When I going back to my days as a Gannett sports writer, I did a high school sports radio show on a weekly basis where we would go shine a light and, and feature kids who had never really spoken about themselves in the affirmative, had never been given a platform to talk about their accomplishments. And I love radio. I love, as you can tell, Robert, I can, I have the gift of gab. I can, I can talk a little bit. And the podcast was the perfect platform for that. And I have to give a lot of credit. When I was an alumni engagement, I worked on a very talented team with two other former television folks. Kim Infanti and Chris Villardi, And they supported and allowed me to bring this podcast, to flesh it out, to come up with a plan of how we wanted to execute, how often we'd be posting, and make sure that there wasn't burnout involved as well. Kim has done one episode with us. She was the high-level executive director. Chris has done a bunch of episodes. He still does produce content for us, even though I've now moved to Central Comms. He is one of our alumni voices that will host the podcast but i've probably done 75% of the episodes if not more of the 153 that we've released out there and it really is it's my passion project man i love i love it i love the platform i love these are organic conversations outside of very very sensitive topics i don't share questions or topics ahead of time with the guests because i want to maintain that authenticity i find that too often if i were to give you a list of topics then it's like a canned or a rehearsed conversation. And Q's Conversations is anything but canned. It's very organic. Let's talk about one of
0: the episodes, right? So we asked you to recommend a few for us. You recommended two. So we're going to talk about one of them in more detail here. We're going play a clip. It's an episode that connects Syracuse with an alum who ends up with a role on the Apple TV Plus show, Ted Lasso. Could you give us a brief overview of this episode and why you recommend it?
1: Yeah, so this episode, to me, it was the perfect embodiment of, you never know who has orange running in their blood. Max Osinski is a 2006 alumnus, and he was an actor. He had starred on like Agent's Marvel of S.H.I.E.L.D. He had been on a Walking Dead spinoff, but his real coming out party, if you will, as an actor was starring as the charismatic Zava on Ted Lasso. And Ted Lasso was a feel-good show. It makes people believe all sorts of really positive messages that we could use. Think about when Ted Lasso came out, it was during the height of the pandemic. And we all needed things to believe in, reasons to be optimistic. And so you've got this show that's really well-established. And we find out heading into the third season that there's this guy, Max Osinski, who's one of us, who's an alum. And he's playing this guy who, if you watch the show, Zava, he's not in a lot of the uh, scenes, but he steals the ones he's in. And he's charismatic, he's outgoing, but he never played soccer a minute in his life. And he actually almost turned down this role, which afterwards he was like, how dumb would I have been to say no to Jason Sudeikis and being on Ted Lasso? But he was insecure. He's like, there's world-class soccer athletes who are on this show. There's actors who have gotten soccer training or played soccer. I don't even know the first thing about soccer. How am I going to convince these people that they want to have me on, this, on the show? And so he goes into, like, he was living in London at the time. He goes to these nearby parks, and he gets really creative with, like, up-close, slow-motion videos. So you can't see the form but you can see the end result. You can see the ball spinning towards the net. You can see this guy who is chiseled working out in a park. And they're like, you look like a soccer player. You might not be a soccer player, but you look like one. And his confidence, it exudes throughout the episode. But what I loved about Max's story was you've got this Hollywood guy who goes to Syracuse, our College of Visual and Performing Arts, to pursue a theater degree. He was actually born in a refugee camp in Poland. His parents had fled communist regime. They wanted to give their son a better life. And from these crazy, humble upbringings, you get this guy who is now a a breakout star on Apple for starring as Zava on Ted Lasso. And his humility, he has never lost that. He's never lost that connection to what his refugee parents did. They left everything behind to bring him to America to pursue his dreams. How many people would say, you know what? We've left this atrocity-ridden country where we had to flee. You're going to study engineering. You're going to study medicine. You're going to become a lawyer. But his parents didn't. They said, whatever you want to do, if you have a plan, go out there and fulfill it. And I think that's so refreshing to let parents have their children go pursue their dreams, no matter how far-fetched they might seem.
0: We're going to take a listen to that clip right now.
2: You know, record this scene, and then please record yourself demonstrating your soccer skills. And I was just like, I give up. I that's not me. I play <laughs> zero soccer. And I was, I literally was started talking myself out of uh, taping for it because I was like, I, I, I've seen the show and I've seen all these great actors like Christo and Collar and Phil uh, Dunst and in these wide shots playing really good soccer. And I read about how they. Actually, some of them played in minor league soccer divisions and stuff in Europe. So I said, I've got no shot. And um, I just called a friend of mine, Damon Australia. And, you know, because I was literally about to call my manager and say, I think we should just pass, man. Like, this is, they can get anyone, they can even stunt cast this role in my mind. I was like, they can call a real soccer player to play the best soccer player in the world. <laughs> and he was just like, no, 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 just show them what you got, highlight your skills, you know, you're Polish. You're in physical shape like a soccer player. He was like, just go, don't worry about the soccer stuff. Do the audition and then go to the park, take your shirt off and work out like the guy, you know? And so he talked me into it. And with the help of my wife, we, we did this scene. I improvised a little bit in Polish. Then we went out to the park across the street from our, um, our apartment. And it was, I remember it was like 50 degrees and I just started working out in character. Having like just having fun, like doing pull-ups on tree limbs and squatting tree logs, and warming up like one, and then we recorded some slow-motion soccer kicks and headbutts. And I don't think it's—I <laughs> don't think that fooled anyone over at the show that he was good. But I think that kind of bravado and confidence of the camera, maybe you know, is what caught their interest. And then we improvised a little bit additionally to that in character via like a fake interview as the guy. And I sent the tape. And then it was quiet. My my reps thought it was funny, but it was like quiet for about three weeks. And I just remembered, this is all. I'm still in London, and I just said, "Hey, you know, any did we make fans with casting? Like, as an actor, um, your only job is to do the best work you can for the tape, and like whether you get it or not is way out of your control. And to worry too much about that and give that so much weight over the long term can get pretty depressing. (laughs) So you just learn to not take it personally and just hope that you made fans and. You know they find you interesting, and maybe they'll bring you in for something else they you think you're right for. So I just followed up to see if we had made fans with casting. They were like, "Oh yeah, um, we hadn't said anything because we don't want you to get too excited." But your tape has gone all the way up to the top. We're just waiting for Jason Sudeikis to approve it. But everyone loves you for the part, and I was like, "What, really? <laughs> yeah, but you know, just you know, stay cool. We'll see what happens. We should know by the end of the week." So that whole week, I was uh, that was a bit when you it, the worst thing is to get close to something and then it falls through. So that week was a bit that week was a bit stressful. So now we're looking at around December and I'm out to dinner with my in-laws who visited us here. And um, I get a call from both of them. And usually when your agent your manager call, it's usually for it's good news or They're both firing you. I don't know. (laughs) So it could have been one or the other, but uh, I get the call and I'm, and I step out of the restaurant. They say, uh, you're Zava, Jason just approved you and, and you've got to part. And it was, um, it was exciting and I couldn't believe it as a fan of the show and like how big the show was that I was going to get to be on it and and play that kind of role was a bit surreal. And then, um, that was about December, that was December 18th. I found out. So those were really good holidays out here. (laughs)
0: So coming back here, John, how did you identify that this would be a good episode?
1: So it really wasn't a well-known fact that he was an alumnus. I mean, when it did come out, there was a quick story in one of the local newspapers that basically mentioned Max, but it didn't go into his story. And so my wife and I were watching episodes, and we loved Ted Lasso, and, and it was like I've got to reach out to this guy. So. I took my shot. I reached out to him on Twitter and he immediately responded and was like, here's my Gmail address. Hit me up there. And so we started this conversation. And I'm telling you, Robert, it wasn't like he goes, hey, talk to my agent. My agent will find time in my calendar. He was responding 10 minutes after my inquiry and saying, oh, my gosh, I love Syracuse. I'd love to come on and share my story. And what I found fascinating was so there's people at Syracuse who like knew of him But this podcast conversation has opened up so many doors to get his involvement back with his alma mater. I'll give you a great example of it. So our men's soccer team, for the first time in school history, won a national championship last year. They beat Indiana, thrilling game in PKs. And our soccer coach, Ian McIntyre, is a huge Ted Lasso fan. There are plans in the works to have Max and his family come back to campus to give him a Syracuse Orange Zava jersey and welcome him back into the family. And I'm like, that is so cool. Like this humble beginning, this outreach on Twitter or X has led to a lifelong affinity where Max is going to be forever engaged and forever orange. And I just love that. That's the power of this podcast. It gives you the warm and fuzzies about your alma mater and people feel like a good connection. And they can now understand that whenever they watch Ted Lasso, one of us is starring as Zava.
0: Yeah. And at the end of the day, he is a Syracuse soccer player. <laughs> <laughs> honorary,
1: honorary Syracuse soccer player. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Maybe he can take a kick during PKs of one of their big uh, preseason games. And he has no eligibility left for college, unfortunately. But that relationship is so cool. And that's one of those things where, so I know you and I have you know, gone through discussing like metrics and how people track episode success. I'll give our listeners here a little background on our pod, we get between three and 500 listens and downloads per episode, which I know is far below the true crime podcasts and the ones who are out there really crushing it with their engagement. But we're not out there to make money. We're not out there to profit off of our podcast. We have 300 to 500 people on average listening to our episodes. When Max's episode was posted on social, we use little video snippets if the circumstances allow to let people see the person and hear in their words and kind of do a little teaser uh, for the episode. And we use that frame of Max potentially turning down this appearance and then what made him change his mind and how he won over the cast to land this role. And it just exploded on social media. I mean, when we factor the success of an episode, we do take listens, we do take downloads, we do take the amount of time someone spends listening to an episode. But the social media engagement, our post went nuts. I mean, the impressions were crazy. We're talking about almost 100,000 people saw that post, clicked on the podcast series, watched the video teaser. And even if they didn't listen to the whole episode, we got them hooked. And we feel that what makes our episodes so strong is the audience is sticky. We could buy audience members, but the people we have are diehards and they want to listen to the episodes. and. I'll tell you one more little humble brag about the pod, if you will. So, you know, attention spans are are shorter than ever. I mean, people tune out from a YouTube video after like three to five seconds if it doesn't hold their attention. We have almost 70% of our audience retained all the way through an episode. And our episodes are 25 to 45 minutes in length. If you get 300 to 500 people and 70% of them Check out an entire episode. That to me is worth more than if we had ten thousand people listening to an episode, because it's an engaged audience that we are delivering the messaging that's really hitting the mark.
0: Absolutely. When you when you pick uh, guests,
1: what criteria do you have? So it's. I'm glad you brought that up. It's a it's a collaborative spirit, and and I'll I'll let you know. We actually we have meetings uh, with my team and I. Where now it's me myself and I producing the episodes, but. I keep my bosses in the loop we have a content calendar and we try to frame episodes based on current events so i mentioned zava when his dropped the season three finale of ted lasso had dropped so it was kind of a a logical tie-in to the end of the show in america deia efforts are under attack on college campuses and we had this big symposium on DEIA efforts at Syracuse, where we actually previewed the symposium by bringing on our Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion to talk about the Supreme Court rulings, ending race-based admissions processes, and what we were doing to really reach out and let students know that they don't have to worry, we're still going to have their back when it comes to providing a welcoming atmosphere. We try to be tie-in friendly to current events happening on campus. I mean, look, if there's something that's crazy cool, yeah, we'll tell that story, too. But we want to give you a reason for listening, not just doing an episode because we can do it, but make it a tangible tie-in and a tangible takeaway. We have a content calendar that I actually have mapped out a design of episodes all the way through June. We go two or three times a month. So it's important to really think about this and also spread the love around. There's 13 schools and colleges within Syracuse. And thanks to great relationships with the communicators who run those schools and colleges, we make sure that we get balanced. So it's not always going back to the broadcast journalism well, which is one of our most famous programs. We want to tell the architecture success stories. We want to tell engineering success stories, the teacher stories out there too. It's really a cross-section. It's very diverse and I couldn't be prouder of that. So you talked a little bit about this
0: content calendar and then the fact that the audience is really sticky. In the years of doing this podcast, have you seen like certain themes attract like more people than other themes?
1: Yes, I, I absolutely have. And I'll give you a really good example of this. So you would think that the most popular or most downloaded episodes, like, w- listen, we had our football coach on for Father's Day talking about the impact that he had as a fa- He was a, a father of three children, and, and he's viewed as the father of the football team. And that episode did really well. But we also had on two student leaders who put forth our AAPI Heritage Month activities. And you would think, oh, two students, what notoriety is this going to get? It exploded in popularity because people love to hear the passion of what students are up to. And I think that's really the lifeblood of any university. So every chance I get, whether it's first generation students, whether it's students of diverse backgrounds talking about how they're making a difference on campus. We even had, there's this one student, I have to give him a shout out. His name is Thomas Wilson. He's a special needs student who was part of our Inclusive U program at the School of Education. And Thomas is a little mini celebrity on campus. He graduated this past May, but he's special needs an area that really has not been given a platform to do broadcast journalism. And yet Thomas was on the student-run TV stations doing his Thomas on the Town segments, interviewing the chancellor, interviewing the head of facilities, just doing these really cool human interest stories. We had him on the podcast, and he is one of a few guests we've had, there haven't been many, where the entire audience, 100% of them made it through his 25-minute episode. If you had told me that a student of his background was going to be one of the few to reach 100%, I wouldn't have thought it possible, but it goes to show people latch onto those captivating stories. I'm really proud of that one, too. That's that's amazing. A hundred percent. Nobody. I was stunned because I kept looking through Spotify's metrics and it literally showed me the entire audience was all the way across. There wasn't a dip. There wasn't a valley. It was consistent across the board. And I told Thomas that after the fact and he started crying and it was just so touching because... He bleeds orange. He loves this school. And the fact that the community picked him up and listened to his story, it was touching. How do you think Hughes
0: Conversations impacts external perception of the university? So we talked about internal and current students and alum, but what about external?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I would like to think that we have a market with external audiences, and it wouldn't be natural at first because you're thinking to yourself, well, this podcast clearly, I mean, you look at our branding It's all Syracuse. I mean, there's a Block S logo. Every font type is orange, white, and blue. It's clearly evident that you're listening to a Syracuse University podcast. But I think what really resonates with the external audience is these are success stories in general that can apply whatever your affinity. And I'll give you a great example. So October first, the first week of October was Mental Health Awareness Week. And we had on our counseling director, Carrie Brown, to share tips on Isolation, loneliness, making friends and finding community. I don't care if you go to Syracuse or not. Every one of us has had those moments of insecurity where it's like, do I have a good friend circle? I'm feeling nervous or anxious. How do I deal with this? And this is somebody who is a staff member who is sharing these best practices. That's something that can resonate with any audience, regardless of what school You happen to go to. We try to find those examples. The Father's Day one, too, with Dino Babers. Yes, he's our football coach, but every new father has gone through what Dino has gone through in welcoming in a child and wondering if you're capable enough of raising this young, small, developing human to be a good person in this world. And so our audience is totally Syracuse affinities, but we think we resonate pretty well outside of that circle, too.
0: Does Q's Conversations work with other podcasts on campus?
1: Yeah, so it's something, it's one of the projects I've taken on of trying to expand upon this because there's a couple we've worked with, but we really haven't done as much as we should. And I feel like Q's Conversations is the flagship podcast for Syracuse University, but we have a podcast solely for the graduate students. We have one with our Environmental Science and Forestry School, which is a SUNY partnership. Athletics does podcasts, Syracuse Abroad, our Study Abroad program has a podcast. And what I want to do is really form these partnerships where we can cross-promote each other. We learn this the best in Denver at Podcast Movement. The podcasts that have the similarities that work together to offer pre-roll or mid-roll spots promoting each other, that's how you find that community. That's how you cultivate new listeners. And I'd be more than happy to welcome on any other member, whether it's, again, the Campus Conversations or the SoundBeat, which our libraries does, which is awesome. Robert, they pull off some of these cool, like they've got such living archives at the Belfer Audio Library here on campus. And they pull out these little snippets of audio interviews from 50 years ago. We have an alumnus, Don Waffle, who was a class of 39, who passed away a couple of years ago. but. He was a decorated veteran. And so for Veterans Day, they rolled out these different interviews, kind of telling this life of someone who had made it to almost 100 years old and had seen such his life has changed. And he imagine the changes. Imagine if you're born, you know, 100 years ago, how much technology has changed, how much life has changed. And they kind of told that story through these little audio snippets. I really want to make Q's Conversations be a collaborative partner where we look out for each other because... If we don't, who else will? And what do you think the uh, biggest challenge to that is? You know, I think the biggest challenge is just getting the buy-in. Podcast itself is so siloed that you might think, well, why would I want to share, give John from Q's Conversations 30 seconds to talk about an upcoming episode? But the challenge turns into an opportunity because if we work well together, we can, just because I have an audience and you have an audience, why can't we share and build together? My audience can become yours And vice versa, if, again, you've got that underlying connection of Syracuse being the tie that bonds us all.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. What are you looking forward to that's coming up on the show?
1: So we've got some incredible conversations. I never rest, uh, as you can tell, when it comes to this topic out here. I'm always mapping out content calendar ideas and who we can bring on. We've got a research themed one with Duncan Brown, who's our vice president for research. Again, I mentioned the R1 label as a research institution. He's going to pull the curtain back on how we've built up this reputation as being a worldwide leader in research. So I'm really excited for that one. And then there's one I I have to mention this earlier, because in April, it's, it's one of these. So, Robert, I'm not sure how you were as a college student. I'm not afraid to admit I like to party a little bit at college. I like to have a beer or two and have a good time in the social scene. Some people go overboard and some people have addictions that come from partying and the partying lifestyle. So April is Alcohol Awareness Month, and we've got an alumnus, Earl Murphy, who was actually my year at Syracuse, 2003. He admits he partied way too hard. He hit rock bottom and checked himself into rehab. He's going to come on to talk about his partnership with Syracuse University's health center to come up with resources for students who might find themselves slipping down that path of becoming an alcoholic, how they can stop, how they can get help, what the university is doing for them and what he's doing is a valuable resource. And to me, that perfectly summarizes the tie-ins between here's an alumnus who learned a valuable lesson that we all can pick something up from and what he's offering to the current student population. That's going to be in April, and I couldn't be more excited to tell his story because How many people are willing to put themselves in that vulnerability and admit that I was an alcoholic, I couldn't handle my partying, I needed help. I want to help people who are in the same boat that I was in back then.
0: That's amazing. You have some very meaningful stories coming up. So, okay, there's some in November and we'll keep out for that one in April.
1: Please do. I mean, honestly, and I know, Robert, your audience isn't Syracuse affinity folks, but you know, we're friendly with Q's Conversations here. We always want to hear from our audience. You can find us on all your major podcasting platforms by searching for Q's Conversations. We have a website, news.syr.edu podcast. And I want to mention one other thing that is in the works to hopefully happen at some point in the next six months or so. I don't know about you. But I really want to take Q's Conversations live. We're launching a YouTube channel. And what I envision for some goals down the road are live podcasts where you can tune in on YouTube. You can watch me or the other hosts talking to a guest. You can ask your questions through a moderated chat panel and feel that engagement, because that's really the one thing I think is missing from our podcast. Besides the great social engagement, it's not a two-way street. And I want to make the live YouTube podcast episodes be that. And maybe one day we actually have them in person where we take this on the road and go to a different city across the country and have a live Q's Conversations. But for the meantime, YouTube seems like a really cool solution to bring our audience uh, up close and personal with Q's Conversations. We'll have to do a
0: part two after the uh, live Q's Conversations goes live. That'll be really exciting to see. I appreciate your support, my friend. (laughs) Always. I'll always support. John, thank you so much for
1: coming on. Anytime, my friend. Anytime you want me back, I'm happy to come on talking about the passion project of podcasting. And and you do a great job with your podcast, too. Give yourself some praise because I think what you're doing, there aren't a lot of us that are doing the higher ed podcasts like this. There need to be more. And my last thing I'll tell you is I feel like the podcast market might be saturated in general, but I feel one of the last untapped avenues of podcasting is higher education podcasts. So, Everything you do to let us come on and share what we are doing, we're a tight-knit community and it means everything to have your support.
0: All I have to say is thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks again, John.
1: My pleasure. Keep up the great work.
0: Thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode helpful, help us get the word out by leaving a review and sharing the show with your colleagues. Our goal is to help grow the education podcasting community so the more ears we can reach, the better. The Word on Campus is a production of University FM.